Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews since 1996. You can read over 4,000 of my written reviews there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Today I'm going to be getting into the second part of a three-part series looking at the made-for-television movies for the Star Wars franchise... Last week, I looked at a film that was not quite in the 1980s, just a couple of years before, from 1978, the Star Wars Holiday Special. Boy, what a show that was to do. The one I'm going to be covering today is smack dab in the middle of the 1980s, 1984 to be exact, and it is called The Ewok Adventure. It's a G-rated film, I guess? I don't know, but it was made for television here in the United States. In other parts of the world, it had different ratings, but it's not MPA-rated. I would probably rate it by today's standards PG because there are children in perilous situations. However, if it did come out back then, it probably would have gotten a G rating even with that peril. An hour and 36 minutes is the runtime because it had commercials and it filled a two-hour slot, but you watch it today on home video it will not have those commercials eric walker aubrey miller warwick davis fianula flanagan guy boyd daniel frischman and debbie lee carrington are in this film john cordy is the director in the screenplay credited to bob corral now the ewok adventure is a family film it was set in the star wars universe although it is non-canon today for reasons i'll get into later it was made for television and it debuted in the united states on sunday november 25th 1984 just after the thanksgiving holiday it was part of then struggling abc's attempt to clean up at the november sweeps ABC, they outbid the two other networks to air the film, and they wanted to turn the Ewoks, these cute bear-like creatures that lived on the moon called Endor, that we saw helping the heroes in 1983's Return of the Jedi, they wanted to create them into a weekly series. But Star Wars creator George Lucas had a lot of projects that he had to juggle at that time, and so he was not able to keep an eye on this as an ongoing saga He felt that he had already gotten burnt when he took his eye off the ball for the Star Wars Holiday Special in 1978, and he wanted to do all Star Wars offshoots under his own production house with complete creative control. He didn't have time for a TV series, but he was able, if they wanted to do it, to create a one-off a half-hour special or maybe even a one-hour special for television. But ABC didn't want to spend millions of dollars on just a half-hour or one-hour show, so they ended up negotiating with Lucas, and eventually they decided they were going to make this into a made-for-TV movie that could be released into theaters in overseas markets just as children were beginning their holiday in mid-December. So when it was pitched as a one-hour special, Lucas wanted it to be called either the Ewok Thanksgiving special or the Ewok Christmas special or the Ewok holiday special, even though the story itself had nothing to do with either Thanksgiving or Christmas or even a holiday to begin with. After negotiating with ABC to try to flesh out his story idea into a movie length, the Ewok movie was going to be the title. But... Earlier in 1984, Random House, the publishing company, put out a series of Ewok children's books under the Return of the Jedi banner, and they were becoming quite popular with kids. So Lucas, he felt that the title should somehow tie in with those books that the kids were buying at the time. So the titles that he envisioned included The Ewoks of Endor, 
the Ewok legend, which was inspired by the book How the Ewok Saved the Trees, an old Ewok legend, or the Ewok Adventure, which he ended up settling for because it not only connected the movie with that book called Three Cheers for Nisaw, an Ewok adventure, but it was also slated to be the title of this Atari 2600 game that was developed by Parker Brothers, also called the Ewok Adventure, although that game never made it past the prototype phase because the previous game did not become as big a seller as they hoped. The international theatrical release carried a somewhat different title of Caravan of Courage, an Ewok Adventure. Later on, when it was released on home video, the movie took the title Ewoks colon Caravan of Courage, and that was to keep it side by side on store shelves with its eventual sequel, Ewoks The Battle for Endor. Now, other than featuring Ewoks from Return of the Jedi, the film really does not reference or tie in directly with the cinematic Star Wars series. According to Lucas, the story takes place shortly before the events of Return of the Jedi, which is why the Ewoks don't refer to anything that happened there in Return of the Jedi. Lucas wanted to broaden the commercial appeal of the Ewoks by this move to television, but with something that he would consider consistent with his technological requirements for his big screen productions. At that time, his adopted daughter, Amanda, the young girl at the time that sometimes gets accused as being the reason that George Lucas changed the creatures in Return of the Jedi from their intended Wookiees to Ewoks, she was just turning four years old, and she adored the Ewoks. And as a sort of Christmas present to her, George Lucas wanted to make a whole movie that she could enjoy watching. Now, assuming the role of the executive producer, Lucas ended up hiring Thomas G. Smith. He was the former general manager of Lucasfilm's Industrial Light and Magic. He was slated to produce the film. Meanwhile, Emmy and Oscar-winning colleague John Cordy, who's an old friend and a neighbor of George Lucas from Marin County, he was put in as the director and the director of photography. He assigned his screenplay duties to someone who had no previous writing experience, Bob Corral, a young man, he was in his early 20s, working as his daughter Amanda's nanny. Now, the story that George Lucas and Carol came up with involved a spacecraft that ends up crash landing on Endor. And the mother and father spend the film looking for their two children, but they end up getting captured by a monstrous axe-wielding Gorax. So they're out of the picture and possibly going to expire. Their 14-year-old son named Mace Tawani and his 4-year-old sister Sindel so they end up getting taken in by the kindly Ewoks whose village lies just a bit of distance away from the crash site. Sindel ends up befriending the Ewoks instantly. Mace is not too sure about their intentions, but they are set to try to find the whereabouts of their parents. And the Ewoks begin to suspect that the Gorax has somehow taken them. So they set about building this caravan along the way to head to the Gorax lair on the hope that they can rescue the parents before it's too late. Very basic storyline there. Uh, the film would have many special effects shots, as you would imagine from a Star Wars release. Elaborate sets, plenty of makeup and costume requirements. The scope and the cost of the production would exceed most of what would typically pass as made-for-television fare. In fact, it was twice as much as your typical TV movie. Although the Ewok Adventure was a multi-million dollar production in the end, about $4.5 million, they did end up saving money wherever they could. They utilized a lot of the same costumes and props and sets from Return of the Jedi. Filming was also done in Marin County at a site not far from Lucas's Skywalker Ranch and in the Redwood Forest of California around that vicinity. 
This 14-year-old English actor was going to be the main Ewok, Warwick Davis. He was about 2 foot 11 inches at that time, and he returns to reprise his role from Return of the Jedi to portray the lead Ewok role of Wicket. Warwick Davis ended up kind of stealing the show for the Ewoks in a memorable scene that he did with Carrie Fisher. That role was actually originally intended for Kenny Baker's character of Poplu, but Kenny Baker had taken ill with food poisoning at the time they were going to shoot this scene, and that opened up the opportunity for the then 11-year-old Davis to gain his claim to fame by appearing in the film as Wicket. Unlike Return of the Jedi, there would be much more time to spend getting to know some of the other individual Ewoks, Deej and Logre and Whittle and Weechi and Shukatruk. The shoot was difficult for the little people in the Ewok costumes because they had to run and jump and they were wearing these full body suits of fur and foam rubber padding and that was in the middle of summer. The actors could only see through these small plastic eye covers that were regularly fogging up from their breathing and their perspiration whenever they exerted themselves and it made it dangerous and they couldn't see where they were running. Some actors relied on studio lights as kind of a guide on where to go, but they couldn't really see what was directly in front of them. The actors were told to take off their headpieces after each take to try to get a breather, and some of the production assistants ended up shooting cold air into their suits during those periods to try to keep them from overheating. The acting here in the film is stiff. It's amateurish at times. The kids are cast much more for their looks than they are for their acting ability. ABC, when they were casting this film, had wanted known child celebrities for the parts, but George Lucas wanted fresh faces that would not be recognized by TV audiences readily. Extensive open auditions were done in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Eric Walker plays Mace. He looks remarkably like a young Mark Hamill, which was probably why they cast him, especially when he has an orange vest on later in the film, resembling Luke Skywalker in a flight jacket. Aubrey Miller, she was the four-year-old story stand-in for Lucas's daughter, Amanda. She was working at that time as a children's clothes model. Lucas felt that she resembled a young Shirley Temple, although without any of her talents, the Ewok adventure would be Aubrey Miller's first acting experience in anything. Unfortunately, it does show Miller really couldn't read yet, and she wasn't skilled enough to memorize her lines for very long, so she had to get her lines fed to her right before each take, and she spoke parroting them back with the same inflections. For the parents, they looked at other actors, including Robert Englund, yes, Freddy Krueger himself, and Kitty Wynn, but they ended up going with these esteemed stage actors like Emmy-winning actor Fiona Flanagan and Guy Boyd inhabiting the roles. The son of famed composer Elmer Bernstein, Peter Bernstein, provides the lush score. He utilized a full 80-piece orchestra to try to bring that score to life. These compositions ended up proving pretty necessary to express the tone and the emotions and the gist of the story because there were communication barriers between the Ewoks and the human characters, so the emotions really played out by the music. And because of that lack of communication, George Lucas also employed narration so that kids watching this wouldn't get confused or lost as to what's going on with the Ewoks. Burl Ives was selected as the narrator because Amanda was familiar with this voice as Sam the Snowman, the narrator for the TV special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. There was a panel of linguists to come up and help with the Ewokese. That's the language spoken by the Ewoks. They used dialects that were uncommon to most English-speaking ears, Tibetan, Nepali, and Kalmyk. Industrial light and magic services were heavily used for this picture. 
It required a sizable number of matte paintings and blue screening and even some stop motion animation to try to fully achieve all of the effects work. The visual effects still are not up to the lofty standards of the higher budgeted theatrical Star Wars films to be sure, but there are a few things that do dazzle the eye. One comes in the form of Isrina, the Wisty, the Tinkerbell-esque dancing light creature whose visual design was personally supervised by the director who had extensive experience working in animation. In fact, he directed twice upon a time for Lucasfilm just the year prior. As Cordy was overseeing those special effects, Lucas was busy editing the film together from the footage that Cordy shot, and he would end up having to do a few reshoots to add a little bit more conflict and drama that he felt needed to be there, and he also had to appease network censors who were worried about seeing the children experiencing a little too much peril for a television all-ages release. The Ewok Adventure, when it was finally released, it ended up being a success in terms of ratings. It earned a 24.9 share, which meant approximately 65 million viewers tuned in. It ended up being the fifth highest rated TV movie for the 1984 to 85 season, and that was following hot button TV movies and miniseries like the spousal abuse oriented The Burning Bed with Farrah Fawcett, the third part of the Hollywood Wives series, and both parts of a miniseries based on Joe McInnes's controversial true crime book called Fatal Vision. The film would also be nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Program, and it would receive an Emmy, a jury-awarded one, for Outstanding Special Effects. Today, the Ewok Adventure is not thought of very highly. It's of interest primarily to Star Wars completists, especially now that it's been deemed to be a non-canon story after its release. Very few fans outside of this bother with it because it doesn't really connect with the Skywalker saga or any of the other theatrical films. If you've seen The Mandalorian recently, there are some tie-ins, which I will discuss more in detail for the next episode that I'll do on this show. With the exception of the crashed spaceship, though, this made-for-TV Ewok film feels a little bit more rooted in the realm of fantasy, a fairy tale genre, kind of Tolkien-esque in that way. It has the equivalent of ogres and fairies and giant spiders and mystical rocks with magical powers, and it's very much different from a lot of the sci-fi vibe that you got from the other Star Wars films. The Ewoks are cute. They're not particularly engaging to watch in a long-form movie, but the human characters are as thin as cardboard, so at least the Ewoks are a little bit playful and comical in that way. The plot is very basic. It's not filled with any notable surprises. It really is a film built on special effects and music, both of which were more compelling in their big screen counterparts. So it's a little bit of a letdown there. It's not a bad film. It does have a bit of lulls, especially for adults, uh, to try to give it a broader recommendation for anyone who's over five or six years old. George Lucas did continue to try to use television to market his Star Wars wares just a few months after the success of the Ewok adventure. He put out an Ewoks cartoon as well as another cartoon called Droids, The Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO. It was kind of packaged together, the Ewoks and Droids together on Saturday morning cartoons on ABC. ABC did ask George Lucas to allow them to make a TV series again following the film's success, but he felt that a series of films worked better with his current schedule. So the next year, a direct made-for-TV sequel entitled Ewoks The Battle for Endor would be released the following year as a sequel to this movie, and I will be talking about that on the next episode. But for this week, two and a half stars is what I will give the Ewok adventure, and primarily 
it is as a kid's film, not necessarily one I would recommend to most people who are over the elementary school age, maybe even kids above second grade or something like that. That might be pushing it just a little bit. But if you're a Star Wars completist or you're a little kid, I definitely do think that there's enough here to garner at least some interest, even though in the end, the stiff acting and the lack of a really compelling plot or a reason to kind of come back for the Ewoks other than for marketability. I don't think there's anything here that would suggest a good film, but for what it is, it's okay enough to get two and a half stars out of four. As far as whether I think the Ewok Adventure is a better film than its follow-up, Ewoks Battle for Endor, I guess we will find out next week because it will be a first-time watch for me. I'm a big Star Wars fan, so it's interesting that there's still a Star Wars-related movie that I have not seen, but nevertheless, I will be covering that for next week. 1985's Ewoks The Battle for Endor on next week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you have seen The Ewok Adventure and you have your own thoughts on this, something I might not have covered, you can write to me. You can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. You can go there to find links to my Twitter feed, Facebook page, Instagram, or my email. If you just want to get in touch with me directly, you can do all of that at quipster.net. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and joining me on this trip around the moon of Endor and around the world in 80s movies. Music